You're new. Are you in a new environment? I am. It's so hot in my garage right now. It's ridiculous. Well, we're, we are recording and man, dude, that is the news story of the day or the week. It's freaking outrageously hot. It is super hot, man. And it's, it's actually one of my stories. I don't know if you saw the thing that Michael C. put up on Stab. I didn't. Go ahead and open the show and we'll get into it. As we see some movement at the takeoff zone, it's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry, this thing holding open, it spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit, spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy. Welcome, everybody. Spit, the Spit Podcast. It is Wednesday, August 19th. Scott Bass, David Lee Scales with you here. Talking surf spitballing. Scott, everybody was worried that you got canceled last week. Canceled? What do you mean, canceled? <laughs> because of our anti-Brazil rant two weeks ago, and then last week we didn't record, and then this week we were off by a day. So I started getting a bunch of messages being like, do you guys get canceled? Does the internet hate you? What happened? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I've got quite a few emails about that. I'm sure you do too. I, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but um, I mean, we can get into it. There's actually some very thoughtful replies, um, <clears throat> you know, and I mean, we can get into it if you want. It's probably going to take up the entire hour. No, give me an overview, though. Were they positive? Were they negative? Were, did people agree? Well, with I got a couple from some people. I mean, they're really well written. I'd actually like to read them. But, um, and then I got one from a, a longtime listener that kind of made me open up my eyes maybe a little bit um, to a different perspective on it. Um, and he left me he he left me of uh one of these um instagram messages with an audio recording and it was uh it was good it was good so uh we have an abbreviated show today we both have a hard out uh at about the hour mark so maybe we get into those next week when we have more time okay i'll give you one uh, just because it's quick and it's fun. Somebody said regarding Brazos, I was living at Coolangata and surfed Deba during the Quick Pro. I was sitting with Felipe, Miguel, and another Brazilian who fell off tour. The set of the day came in, and they were reading to go on this drainer, but all of them backed off and simply let me have it. They easily could have taken it like Parco would have, without a doubt. I was <laughs> I was stoked and. Uh, I glanced back and I could see Felipe going upside down on, uh, in the air on the left on his backhand. So I'm presuming it was a right that was coming to our listener. And he said, this was the first year of Felipe. Um, so I really, I, it really gave me an indicator for what he was going to do that year on tour. Dan and Balina sent that. So that's a nice, nice uh, counter argument. Well, I got one that said, Scott, when it comes to Brazilians in the lineup, once again, you have been that, senior guy who calls out the bad behavior and we all breathe a sigh of relief and thank you for your courage in doing so. This is a rather long email. I'll just get to the bottom here. Uh, he basically says here in Australia and I suspect in California, 
and other long established surf countries, surf culture has been taught and handed down from one generation to the next. And again, I mean, I, should, I, I need to read the whole email to really put it into perspective of what he says, but he's basically saying, thanks for, thanks for saying what you said. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, so the heat, dude, with this heat wave that we're experiencing, it completely slows down all productivity. Like I can't function. I can't get the extra, like I try to leave the house to go for a run in the morning. And unless I leave before 7am, it's really, really arduous and my times are slower and everything. It's a nightmare. What's your, what's your heat story? <laughs> it's so funny that, that you're a runner. You're basically a runner. Like, Dude, I've, I mean, put, I've put in how, over 100 miles a month for the last four months, I think. How would you identify yourself? Um, not as a surfer, for sure. <laughs> That's quite liberating, isn't it? I mean, for the last month that, I mean, the, thankfully we've had a couple of South swells now in the last week or so, but prior to that, I was absolutely running way more than I was surfing. If somebody said, oh, David, you're the runner. Would you cringe a little bit? Cause when people go, oh, Scott, you're that surfer. I go, oh God. Like, how would you ID yourself? Like if, like if you had to like fill out a census or, or you were asked to write an essay and it was like, Tell us about yourself. How would you do that? Like, would you say, I'm a male, I live in Orange County? You know? It wouldn't be those things. I would like to uh, think I am a um, compassionate friend, a loving son, a generous lover. Uh, I occasionally <laughs> go to the beach. Sometimes this I run. This isn't Tinder. <laughs> Sometimes Handsome. I run. Handsome, six foot two, strapping, um, highly intelligent. Never wash my hair. No, yeah. Um, no, I wouldn't, surfer wouldn't be in the first 100 adjectives that I use. And runner, runner would be somewhere in the 200, I would say. Why, why is that? Are you embarrassed? No, uh, well, I mean, there, I guess on a cursory level, yes, there are kind of um, associations that go with it that are related with Jeff Spicoli that I don't identify with as with at all. Uh, the explanation for why it is meaningful to me is so long and detailed that just saying I'm a surfer doesn't really convey what I would want to convey to that person. I could use other adjectives and descriptors that would be a better understanding to them. And if I only had that short one word explanation, surfer, would convey the wrong meaning. That's why I want to use it. And when you say runner, it's kind of like, it's sort of this top level. Um, there's not really a lot of depth to your enjoyment of running like the way there is with surfing. Not at all. I mean, I get certain things out of it, but nowhere near the depth. There's, there's a discipline that comes with it and just a maintenancing of health that is the main level of importance, but there's not the same, I hate to even say spirituality, uh, but there isn't. You know what? I, it's funny you say that because I was thinking about this the other day too. You know, you and I are often kind of like cringe when people go, oh, it's, you know, surfing's my life and it's, it's spiritual. And I've kind of stopped cringing. Like really? that's kind of what it is. Like it's kind of commune 
with the universal spirit of nature or whatever you you know your dogma is or whatever your you know your pious deity might be but surfing is spiritual like and i don't know if it's laying on a board or if it's just going in the ocean you know like do you even need a board can you just go in the ocean and get that sort of spiritual uh tune up if you will i think you can i think the spiritual aspect you could get just by going in the ocean there's a bunch of ancillary benefit that comes with surfing itself um but going back into the womb of mother nature is what going into the ocean is so the actual riding of the wave isn't the spiritual part it's more about going into this water the water right the ocean going into the ocean i think but, so and so the, obviously it's different if, than going into a swimming pool what you know that's a body of water obviously maybe it's artificial or it's fresh water it has chlorine it's just it doesn't there's not you know the, the possibility of going into the food chain and getting eaten all of those things well not to draw the analogy again to motherhood but when you're in the womb there's a rhythm to it. There's a heartbeat. There's a fluid kind of motion. The ocean is all of those things. You are really, number one, like um, subjecting yourself to all of the elements. So there's a real vulnerability with going into the ocean. But then there's also a letting it wash over you. If I go with the rhythms of the ocean, I'm actually going to have a better experience here. I mean, I can't tell you how many people, um, when I take them to the beach, maybe. Uh, a parent or an extended family member or a girl that I've been dating or something and they go to play in the shore break, all of them get pounded by the shore break and they're using tons of energy. And I always, the first thing I explain to them is, hey, keep your shoulders underwater and just dip under the wave, just one foot. If a wave comes, if it hits you in the chest, you're gonna get knocked back. If your shoulders are underwater, no matter how big the wave comes, the wave is, just dip your head one foot beneath that. It'll wash over you instantly. You'll spend zero energy and you'll come right back under it. It's scary to go under when this thing's coming at you, but it's the best place to be. And if you're standing trying to fight it, you're going to waste tons of energy and get pounded to the beach, you know? So that little like rhythm and understanding and giving into it is uh, you don't get in the swimming pool. You have to be in the womb to get it. Wow. That was uh, like a primer for Kook University almost. <laughs> you know what I mean? Totally. Well, well put. Yeah, they have to sit through that introduction if they are ever going to take Kook U. Right. Um, it's the preface. It is. Hey, by the way, speaking of, uh, I don't know, some of that stuff, I had a conversation, I actually recorded a podcast with Sterling Spencer after you and I talked about him. Oh, that's a whole nother thing that I got a bunch of shit for. Well, dude, your, your perception of him makes a lot of sense now after talking to him. Um, human beings are complex. And while he was surfing's foremost gesture, gesture, he was simultaneously highly depressed and self-medicating that, doing drugs and alcohol. Part of the drugs and alcohol or that chaos is fueling all of the creativity and um, he's in a very different place now. And I mean, you would not believe his energy. If you listen to two minutes of that conversation, you'll be, you cannot reconcile him with the Sterling Spencer that you know. He's like low energy, 
contemplative, sensitive. Um, and the other funny thing is he has really bad eyesight. And he told a story about seeing Kelly Slater at Rincon and Kelly saying what's up to him and Sterling just looking away because he didn't <laughs> know who it was and he didn't even see the what's up. But later when he saw Kelly at CI, Kelly was like, what the heck, cool guy? Like, why do you think you're so cool? You make fun of me on the internet, then you don't even say hi to me in the water. And it was, it, Sterling had no idea. So it, a lot of kind of your, what you weren't saying about him, but I was kind of what you were getting at, I think uh, was made clear by all of that. Yeah, I'm trying to refresh my memory again. My take on Sterling was what? You used the word aloof, but you were, oh, not, right. you were not impressed. You're just like, I don't know. I got rubbed the wrong way when we were surfing together, which made me think he was like burning people and just like acting cooler than anybody else. But Well, you know what? I kind of have bad eyesight too. And, um, and I'm also, uh, let me just say that my wife has suggested that sometimes I come off as aloof. When actually I'm just one, I can't see worth a shit. Like I totally get it. People are like, you know, I could see how Kelly is like, you big league me, Spencer. What's the deal? When he didn't really big league him, he's just like, I can't even see you. Like that, in fact, happened to me. Um, where was I? Oh, today, Chris Cote. I was at my storage, grabbing boards out of my storage, moving storage, and I hear this guy go, "Oh, is that the secret board stash or whatever?" And I, I can't recognize the guy walking towards me, so I immediately I'm like, "No, no, it's not," you know, because I don't want anyone to know that my storage has got a bunch of boards in it or whatever. Right. And he keeps walking up to me, and he goes, "Oh, it's me, Chris." I'm like, "Oh, Chris, sorry, my my eyesight's so bad, I couldn't, I didn't recognize you." So anyway, I get the eyesight thing. That's a legit thing, you know. Like when you just can't see people, you tend to just kind of put your head down and don't and don't make eye contact because you, you're like, you end up going. Who is yeah. that? Well, what's so funny, there's what's... that that creates an aloofness. And it's interesting that, so he was, he was having some, some alcohol, maybe some drugs. I don't know what it yes, was. You mentioned both. it. And, um, you know, it sounds like he's really searching for God. That's what it sounds like to me. We didn't talk about religion. Um, so I don't know. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about searching for God. Two different things. Okay. Religion's Jimmy Swagger, you know. Religion's Franklin Graham, Jerry Falwell Jr. Talking about searching for this, well, I don't even know what it is, you know, like this universal spirit, this this deity, yeah. God being. And, and a lot of times I think people, it's been my experience that people that go on the alcohol and drugs, they don't know it, but they're actually trying to, find some peace and some contentment in their life. And that seems to be the short-term solution to get there. Well, his, as he tells it, was related to the loss of his father and not addressing the grief that he was feeling. And um, so he's learned how to do that. Do you want to see my new puppy, by the way? Yes. Oh, this wow. Is, this is Sophie. Oh, so, that is so great. Hi, Sophie. <laughs> Sophie what a can't, beautiful little dog. Sophie can't hear you, but she's a black lab mix. We got her. We adopted her at the rescue. Um, she's unbelievably good, dude. Potty trained 98%. The problem is right before we were supposed to record, she stepped in her poo outside and then <laughs> tracked it inside. So right at four o'clock, I'm like cleaning up poo so it doesn't get worse. Um, but for the most part, she's potty trained. She doesn't cry. She doesn't bark. She loves to cuddle. She's been, 
She's been chewing on something, man. She's got something in her mouth. Oh my gosh, you're right. Hopefully it was a chew toy. But she'll let me kiss her. She doesn't bite anything. It's crazy. Oh, that's so, so great. Oh, I'm so stoked for you. Dogs are the best, man. Speaking of searching for a higher power, that's yeah, so great to have that unconditional love of a dog. It's just awesome. By the way, I stepped in my poo before the show, too. So <laughs> tell Sophie not to you know, take it so hard. Are you using puppy pads? I'll do whatever it takes to not step in my poo, man. <laughs> well, diapers are right around the corner for you then. Um, <laughs> anyways, hey, it's funny how we, this whole, like the podcast medium is perfect for making snap judgments. We have a story and it's best to have a hot take on the story and to make a snap judgment. But the more we kind of do that, we realize, I mean, we're just confronted by the complexities of people. So the Brazilian thing is a snap judgment. And by the way, stereotypes exist for a reason. They're really helpful. Uh, I hate the current kind of cancel culture that is like, you said all people are similar. And it's like, dude, you live by stare. If you're walking down, if you're in a new city or, an, or your city and you're walking down the street at night and there's an old lady on the other side of the street and a group of 18 year old boys walking to you on your side of the street, you're going to cross and go walk with the old lady because you learned through life and stereotype that there's inherent dangers with a certain group of people, rightly or wrongly, and you're gonna make a decision. We all use them. So to discount stereotypes is really, um, I think just shallow and narrow-minded and not that critical. Anyways. Well, the, the other part of that is that people immediately go, oh, you're discriminating or you're racist or you're, and it, there's a big difference. There's so many nuanced layers of, of course. Look, I have, of course, I have some bias. I'll admit to that. We all do. We all exactly, do. exactly. Yeah. But but that doesn't mean that I'm, you know, over here in uber alt right field. You know, so yeah. Look, if you're using those stereotypes to discriminate or not hire or keep people down, then yes, that's a problem clearly. But stereotypes do exist. So anyway. Uh, as we kind of go through these conversations though, what gets highlighted is just that individuals are highly complex and they're often making decisions from a place of hurt. So whether you, whether Sterling Spencer doesn't say hi in the water or you don't say hi to Chris Cote or a pack of Brazilians paddles out into the lineup and there's a snap judgment made, like once you encounter that individual within that group on an individual basis, it's a very different interaction. Like you can absolutely find humanity and compassion and sympathy in individuals, you know, but the decisions about the group are made out of protecting one's self-interest generally. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, very well put. And, um, you know, and it's, yeah, it's just crazy. Even like, you know, nine tenths of my own um, biases towards whoever it is, if it's a group of Brazilians or if it's just, you know, three newbie vowels paddling out, I'm immediately going to some weird place in my head about them all because of some fear that's going on between my ears that's like, basically, most of it is, I'm not going to get, it's the fear of missing out. It's a fear that this group or that group is going to take from me the limited amount of waves that are going to be coming through in the next two hours. And and that's inherently selfish and, and not, uh, there's no like growth there. There's no um, freedom there. There's no freedom there. 
And, you know, but I want to just hunker down in my judgment, you know, let my ego kind of take over rather than just be liberated and be like, ah, eh, you know what, let them have some fun way. Like, it's hard for me to get to that aloha spirit. Right. And that's kind of what my whole journey has been these last like 15 years in surfing is like, can I just like get some rabbit kakai in me? You know, can I just be like, eh, it's all good. You go, you go. No, nah, nah, I, don't, I don't need to catch this set wave. You go. You know, like, that's so hard for me to do. There's so much inherent selfishness that that's where my biases are based is in missing out. Let me ask you this. This now this wades it back into controversy. <laughs> good. I cringe when I see let's, use the WSL. When I see the WSL making statements about equality or maybe Black Lives Matter or any company for that matter, right? Black Lives Matter happens and all of a sudden they're sending out emails, posting on their Instagram about these virtue signals when they never have before. And by the way, if you just go back into their catalog of models that they've used in their board shorts, none of those models were black or people of color. At, at most, Hawaiian, you know? So they're hypocritical for making the statement, but that's not my point. My point is surfing is anti-equality. Surfing is F all of you. I'm here to get my wave. I don't care if you're a, middle, if you're a wealthy white male, middle-aged white male that runs a tech company. I don't care if you're a woman of color from poverty or anything in between, F you. I'm here to get my set wave. And so to kind of, for any of the, any of, I don't know, surfing's kind of governing arbiters to yeah. proclaim like, oh no, now we're taking a position of unity and solidarity and justice for all and equal opportunities for everybody is almost counter to the act of surfing itself. I understand why they want to do it from a business. But it's like, no, surfing isn't that. No matter who you are around the world surfing, it isn't that. It's all about me. Yeah, and you mentioned it last time. It's tr it truly is a meritocracy, you know? And, and it's the one place we want to go and not have any of the other bullshit of society sort of clamp down on us, which is why we hate rules. Like the whole idea of Cook University, we kind of go, well, we're doing it, but we kind of don't, don't like rules. I mean, the whole idea about going into this ocean that you mentioned earlier in this podcast is like to kind of like get in this rhythm of nature and just let, you know, the totally. Darwinism take over. And so part of that is part of that meritocracy is, so this is a good thing because if you are an impoverished woman of color, you can be the leader in the lineup. If you shred out shred everybody and battle for the set wave, we're going to back off and let you go because you earned it, you know? And so I understand all of the, um, social reasons why maybe the impoverished woman of color or anybody else for that matter might not have access to the beach and spend as much time at the beach and have as much opportunity and all that sort of stuff. I understand that. But I'm just saying, once you're in the lineup paddling for waves, none of that, your socioeconomic status, your skin color, none of that matters. It's well, let me just ask you this. who can shred the hardest. Let me ask or you the this. most beautifully. Yeah. Speaking of meritocracy, uh, where does equipment come into this discussion? Because there can be like um, a middle-aged white adult male on a stand-up paddleboard. And because he has the equipment to catch all of the waves 
and he is catching all the waves. And oh, by the way, I've been that guy and I have an 11 foot glider. I've got the equipment to catch all the waves. Um, does that mean that I'm the best surfer in the water because I'm the one that chose the proper equipment to outduel all of the other guys in the water, regardless of if it's Kelly Slater on a 510 who can absolutely, you know, rip the snot out of me if we were doing some sort of competitive format. But as far as meritocracy, going in the water, who's the best? Does, where does equipment fall into that? Do we go, yeah, you know what, the stand-up paddleboarder that's kind of a kook that has no style, that's basically falling on his face, but is just good enough to catch every single wave. Is that the winner? Is that the guy with, that deserves the meritocracy because he chose the right equipment to outduel us all? This is a great question. We need to really unpack this. I think there's an entire dissertation, a PhD dissertation could be written on this and this kind of metaphor. Um, no, that person absolutely doesn't deserve that person. And why is he catching all of the waves? Well, there's um, privilege. Objective, there's, objective. So, using, so using the metaphor, there's privilege that puts that person in an advanced position to get the resource. That well, doesn't mean that they're able to perform on the resource. So we start, there now becomes a strata of, I don't think that thing that you're doing is actually hard, that hard to do. And if we all had an equal playing field, you couldn't contend with us. So I'm going to retro enact some retribution here and burn you on the third <laughs> set wave that comes and you took the first two. Yeah. I'm going to let one go on the third one. I'm now going to burn you because I waited my turn and you're not recognizing that I don't have the same privilege that you have, but I have actually more of the merit merit kind of based talent. So I'm going to let you know that. Well, it, it, there's a lot, you've thrown a lot of subjectivity into it, which is good. And that's where a lot of the nuance is, but I like to think of it like, let's say your, your mom or my mom or some whoever that doesn't surf is watching the situation. And they're like, gosh, that guy's the best surfer out here. Look at him. He's catching all the waves. I've seen him ride lo a long ways. And he keeps doing laps on catching tons of waves. He's, he's obviously the one that's winning, that has the most merit. That's, that's, it's, just proving, it's just proving out before my very eyes objectively. Now, I don't understand the nuance of you know, what we just talked about, me being the, the old lady on the beach. And you mentioned this level playing field that you, you said there's no longer a level, level playing field because he's on a stand-up paddleboard. I would argue, look, the, the level playing field is the ocean. We're all standing on the beach. Choose your equipment. I don't care. That's the level playing field. Just because you chose the 510 and I chose the 11-foot stand-up paddleboard doesn't mean it wasn't level to begin with. You saw the waves. You saw me with my stand-up paddleboard, and you chose the 510. So – you lose, you know, like, yeah. So great, great questions. Um, I'll address that last one first. The, all, all the people that had to choose which equipment to ride that day don't have all the options that you have. So maybe they didn't have access to a long, to a paddle, a stand-up paddleboard. They only have one board. They're in a ratty wetsuit and that one board is yellowed and beat to crap. So you would be um, inhumane to not have any compassion for that person. If your only objective as the stand-up paddler is to get the maximum amount of waves, then 
you're lacking compassion. So I would argue to the woman who's on the beach that is just surveying that person and saying that person's the best surfer, that's just showing up in Southern California and be like, who's driving the Ferrari living in the biggest house and taking it from afar going, that's the successful person. Well, if you look a layer deeper, you find out that person has bankrupted every business that they've ever done business with. They just don't pay any of their bills. They just and they don't pay their taxes, they're ripping everybody off, and it, once the government finds out they're gonna end up in jail or not because they'll hire an attorney to get them out of the situation, and they've got five failed marriages, and they've got kids that don't talk to them, you're missing all of the nuance and complexity. And so I think the kind of what answers all of these questions is you have to have humanity, you have to have compassion, you have to be able to look to the kid in the lineup who is wearing the ratty wetsuit, scrambling for waves on the inside, but he's then doing an air on him and he's riding the crappiest board and you go, oh my gosh, like I'm going to let one go for this kid. I'm going to call him into the set wave because yeah, I could have my 10th set wave of the day, but I've had my fill. I'm full. He deserves to eat. That's what uh, makes us different. Look, That's what makes America the greatest land of opportunity. <laughs> easy guy. No, I look, I, I guess what I'm getting at is oftentimes I'll be the guy on the 510, you know, and there'll be like three dudes on their stand-up paddle boards. And I'll be asking myself, if we switch boards right now, they couldn't even catch a wave on my board. Exactly. And I could grab their stand-up paddle board and do pretty good. <laughs> but they don't know that. I'm still losing as far as like the meritocracy question, as far as, you know, who's dominate, who's catching the waves. Yeah. Like if that's the determining factor of merit is who's catching the waves, which I think it kind of is at least on the, I don't think it's who's catching the well, waves. It's who's surfing the waves best. No, but to the stand up paddler, he doesn't give a shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like the meritocracy does kind of have to have a real objective. There is no nuance in meritocracy. It's like, the guy that's getting the waves obviously was the guy that has the most meritocracy. I think this I'm analogy, not, in this analogy, that stand-up paddler is the guy living in the $20 million home driving the Ferrari. Yeah, and he, and he, you're right. He doesn't give a crap about the meritocracy. <laughs> but I would argue, you know, the stand-up paddler isn't the one who's actually getting the most out of that experience. They're out there. Well, I'm not arguing that. I'm not arguing that. Yeah. I agree with you. I'm just saying, like, you know, we, we, we started this rabbit hole, digging this rabbit hole by talking about the concept of isn't the ocean great? Isn't surfing great? That's why it's different. There is none of this woke, any of this. We leave all that social stuff behind and, and we just go and we're all equals. We're all equals out in the water. And meritocracy and, and the people that have put in the hard dues and the hard time are the ones that generally shine. But that's simply not the case a lot of times when you look at the, like the equipment takes some of that away. It, it totally yeah. does. But I would also argue, I'm glad that you brought that initial point up again, because if the stand-up paddler actually does his job right, he never actually enters the womb. He cruises along <laughs> the top of the womb and never actually experiences any of the benefit that we're even talking about. And he like does an ultrasound. He's like doing an ultrasound. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you could continue that argument and be like, yeah, the body surfer has the most uh, natural experience 
that's a natural birth. There's not even an epidural. There's no coaching. There's just like a natural birth. That person's having the most uh, natural experience. And I think that's actually true. This analogy is proving to be really, really true. Yeah, but I, I'm not, I think we're kind of like, we're, we've, we've kind of got some mixed metaphors. I'm just, just trying to kind of, I guess, uh, illuminate and excavate some of my frustrations as being um, you and I and many of our listeners are good enough surfers that we can ride short boards. And there's, you know, 150 yeah. guys on 11 foot planks that with the leash on that couldn't even swim out there, but are not doing laps, but are catching waves that when there's only so many, especially the last month and a half. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's like, we claim that there's a meritocracy, but it kind of isn't. It kind of gets taken away by equipment. You know, it certainly does in Southern California. Like we're surfing crowded spots that you could see from Crappy PCH. Yeah. yeah, and so that's why we're experiencing that. But make no mistake, if you paddle out at North Point. Or, I was thinking or, that same spot. It's so funny that you said that. I was thinking North Point. Yeah, it's Some like that. The meritoc yeah, the meritocracy yeah. is absolutely relevant. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It does, um, it does all shake out. Hey, real quick, before we um, run out of time without actually talking about surfing. We um, have been talking about surfing. Well, I love it when I don't ever have to look at these stupid ass notes that I write. I agree. With I think you, it's I a think, better show. I think listeners do too. I wanted to follow up though. Um, last month we introduced uh, listeners to the Lazy Surfer app. Yes. Remember that? Um, anybody within the who's listening to this right now, download lazy surfer app. It is a not, a, it's kind of a forecasting app, but it's kind of more importantly helps you log your sessions and it aggregates your data to understand kind of what and rate your sessions, by the way. So it aggregates your data to understand what wind waves tide, all that sort of stuff you like and make suggestions based, uh, based on that information for your future sessions and where you should surf. Bunch of listeners downloaded it. Nick from Lazy Surfer gave us feedback and was like, hey, I really appreciate your guys um, talking about it. I got a lot of new downloads and you and I got a lot of feedback about it. A lot of it was positive. There were some concerns. One emailer said, you realize the Lazy Surfer is data mining for local knowledge. How do you like every Val with a dumb phone having access to this info at your local breaks? They give you the tools to log your sessions in detail, then use that info for whatever they think will make the most profit before flogging this product on your podcast. You should make clear to your list, this clear to your listeners. Cheers. So uh, valid concern from the listener. I sent that email to Nick at Lazy Surfer and he said, hey, when you talked about it, I feel like you did make it pretty clear to your listeners that Lazy Surfer is in the data business. Maybe what wasn't clear enough though is that the data is only used to build a machine learning model. The data is not viewable in any form that would expose secret spots or automatically tell you what conditions were good at a specific spot. Also, users can opt out of the data sharing uh, if they are worried and you can find that in the setting, uh, settings menu and flip the switch. So good feedback from listeners. I appreciate that kind of critical glance and also good feedback from Nick and clearing it up. Um, what else is fantastic though, is that we kind of have early access to stuff like this. 
and we can beta test it and our listeners can beta test it. And based on some of the feedback that you and I gave Nick about social sharing your own specific session with a limited group of friends, he's enacted that since we talked about it. So, um, super cool. It's free. The app is free. So why wouldn't you go use it and, uh, download it and start using it? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, if I had to ask you, um, who's, who's, all time throughout history, who are your top five favorite surfers? Tom Curran, without a question, is right there. Um, Kelly Slater, without question, is right there. John John Florence. There was a moment in time Chris Ward was high in that list for me. Um, it's it's changed depending on the era. Dane Reynolds. When I was a kid, Taylor Knox, Kalani Rob had a moment there. But I mean, without a doubt, Tom Curran's at the top of the list. Okay, Bre so Brendan Margison comes to You mind. didn't really go into like anything deep history wise. Like you didn't I was, come up I was with shortboard say, era. That doesn't mean that you don't have, you know, your tentacles on the deep and rich. You said culture. Favorite, surf favorite surfer. Yeah, favorite surfers. These are guys I'm trying, when I think of favorite surfer, it was always somebody I was trying to emulate on my best day. What about like Mark Richards? No? It was before my time. Okay. Like when I, when I was coming up, again, I started surfing, let's say 92, 93. That was already outdated. Like I, right. saw, I saw him in the magazines and videos and I was like, yeah, but he's not going vert, you know? <laughs> what? Guy was going vert. Anyway, the reason I bring that up is that one of my top five favorite surfers, Rabbit Bartholomew, I just saw this. Did you see this news? He's running for office in, on the Gold Coast. He's running for the, in the Labor Party. I don't know too much about Australian politics. But um, Bugs is running for office on the Gold Coast, and he's, he's got kind of a cool – I think his, basically like his, his sort of like, you know, elevator speech or his single sentence platform is, I don't know, one person that loves the Gold Coast, Gold Coast more than I do. So Rabbi Bartholomew is entering uh, politics on the Gold Coast, which I think is great. You know, he's probably, what, 65 or whatever. And it's kind I don't of know. Cool. I don't know the way the politics work on the gold or in Australia either, but I have zero faith that politics are the answer, to be honest. I didn't say they were either. I'm just, but you know what I mean? Like one of my like, favorite surfers I'm down, but larger picture. If something needs to get changed, I feel like Bezos earning billions of dollars and making a company worth 2 trillion will actually be able to activate more change in terms of environmental change, even politics, like he'll influence elections, he'll influence pol public policy, all that sort of stuff, because we're a capitalist society and that's what we value. And the politicians are just figureheads that end up getting paid out by those people's lobbyists. Yeah, innovations tends to create um, both legislation and regulation. It's not the other way around, obviously. You're not going to yeah. regulate something that doesn't exist. But uh, I would agree with that. I think there's a lot to be said with that. And in fact, you know, back in the day, I, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but 
Anyway, we're not going to go. Let's not do rabbit, that. Rabbit hole? Was that a pun? Whoa, Scott? That was pretty rabbit deep. Is a pun. Here's now on the local level, maybe local politics, you actually can enact change. But my concern is, will the corruption of uh, City Hall infect rabbit? Or will rabbit's goodwill infect City Hall? We'll find out on the next episode of Spin. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Did you see, speaking of Australia, that this guy, his wife got attacked by a great white shark, like a 12 footer and had her in its clutches. And this guy jumped off his board and beat the shit out of the shark. (laughs) It's pretty classic. I saw that. It is crazy. Isn't that cool? I mean, it's horrible, but what were the wife's injuries? I didn't look too deeply. I'm sure from what I read her, you know, the, the shark, had her leg firmly, you know, ensconced in its jaws, and this guy jumped. And so I'm sure her legs were pretty beat up. But she's going to survive. Yeah. Would you do the same thing for your wife? Absolutely. Don't you um, remember the story where I was? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even rescue her off of a tipped-over outrigger. She, she didn't need to be rescued. At least Paul I Patterson didn't. saved her. <laughs> I know. The fact that she still holds you accountable for it means that she did need to be rescued and you didn't. I think she did. I think she did. And I apologize, honey. I'm sorry. But a shark happened again. The shark would have been a lot more obvious and you would have then jumped in. Oh, for for guarantee. I would have been whistling for Paul Patterson. I'd be like, Paul, get over here. Um, We never know unless we're in that situation. You never know how you're going to react in a life-threatening situation. But I would like to think that if Julian Wilson paddled towards Mick Fanning in the final at J-Bay, that I would do the same for my significant other. That's true love, Julian. I would do it for my puppy. (laughs) For sure, Sophia? Sophie. For sure for Sophia. Sophia. Why'd you name her Sophia? You know, it's funny. um, My girlfriend follows all these animal rescues because she likes looking at dogs. And is that why so, she hung, hangs out with you? <laughs> <laughs> that might have been your best zing that you've had ever in the history. That was a, that was a softball, man. It really was. I had to hit, hit that one out of the park. It really was. You earned it. Um, so, you know, over the last few months, she'll just like show me on Instagram, like, hey, look at this photo of this dog. And I look, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. It's cute. One month ago, she showed me a photo of a dog. It was like a Vishla, I want to say, at a rescue. She just showed it to me for a split second while I was doing dishes, and I was like, get her. Like, let's get her. Just the look of that one look, and I'm in. And that dog's name was Sophia. So I spent 30 minutes filling out the application, a couple of days, like, waiting, you know, biding our time, and they never returned our call. But then we got in the mode of like, well, shoot, are we looking for a dog now? And so we spent about a month looking, but that initial dog with the name Sophia was already embedded in our head. So when this litter of uh, Black Lab puppies came up, they were all named after um, the Flintstones. There was Bam Bam, there was Pebbles, and this one's uh, name was Daisy. And Daisy. We, we went and spent time with her, and we yeah. were like, Daisy fits, but we're already committed to Sophia as a name, and Sophia worked for her, so yeah. we stuck with Sophia. All right. So that's the story. 
I just don't remember a Daisy in the Flintstones. But whatever. What was I? I mean, I guess I didn't look it up. Uh, what was um, their neighbor's wife's name? Um, Betty. Barney and Betty. Barney and Betty. Rubble. <laughs> I don't know. We're the rubble. Old. The Rubbles were the main couple, right? Oh, were they? Fred? No, Fred Flintstone. Fred. Oh, Fred, that's right. <laughs> and, it was Fred and Wilma and Barney and Betty. Okay. I don't know yeah. then. I thought it was a family of Flintstone characters. Maybe Daisy wasn't. Who knows? I don't know. Her name was Daisy, though. Uh, um, at any rate, we were committed to the name Sophie. All right. Well, uh, yeah. well dude, in other news, um, what do we talk about? I mean, there's so much that's happened in the last two weeks. The stumble at the ranch, the WSL botched the feed. They misspelled Kanoa Igarashi's last name on his jersey. I mean, it was a complete <laughs> debacle. Bob Hurley's founded the Kandui LLC. They bought Simple Shoes. John John Florence is launching his own clothing brand under the LLC's umbrella. Where do we go? What do we discuss? Uh, it's all exciting. I mean, I think the Hurley thing is the most fun to, to, to talk about for me. I'm not even, I don't know if to talk about, but I'm just excited for them. I'm, I'm excited that there's a hardcore surf family that's, that started another chapter in their business, you know. Um, Bob was a, is still is a surfboard shaper. He got he cut his teeth in this industry as a surfboard shaper. I mean, that's that's where it all starts. And anything that Bob Hurley touches is pretty much gold. He he's a great human being, and his kids Jeff and Ryan are great great guys. And they're, I I only see big success for John John's thing and for the simple thing and for anything that this Can Do LLC puts out. I mean, um, I'm big fans, and I'm, I guess we have to just wait and see, you know. I agree with, I will co-sign everything you said about Bob Hurley. I think Bob Hurley is our salvation, to be honest, as a surf industry. Um, we talk about it all the time, but it's almost under a microscope that I forget the larger context. But talking to Sterling Spencer helped me, remind me of the context. In the mid-2000s, Billabong was funding his career to a large sum of money let's be honest, uh, for not surfing contests, for just making satirical YouTube videos. And that was the end of the heyday. And ever since then, it's been really scrappy. And all of those big brands have gone public and since filed bankruptcy. And the industry is in shambles. And part of what made Sterling's thing so um, sharp was that there was core surfers. Taj Burrow, you don't make fun of Taj. Kelly Slater, you don't make fun of Kelly because these guys were so core and no, but they're insulated by this industry and nobody makes fun of them. So for somebody to send a spear through that industry and skewer them was, um, had never been done before. But in a very short 10 years, there's no more of that insulation the internet, everybody makes fun of everybody. So it's all free game, but there's no core anymore. The core is gone. And so Bob, for all the reasons that you explained and more, let's go back to giving an extra $100,000 to the winner at the Hurley event, at the lowers comp, you know, adding an extra $100,000 to the US Open. Nathaniel Kern won one year and earned $30,000. Brett Simpson won the next year and won $100,000. Uh, 
Nathaniel Curran's kicking himself. Like, God, why didn't I wait to peak next year? Like, but Bob Hurley, nobody's pressuring him to do that. He's done that on the um, public level. And then on the personal level, hiring and investing in employees 20 years ago that he kept on that maybe didn't have an MBA from a Ivy League school and just investing in them. And they perform. And turns out they perform better than MBAs from Ivy League schools because they understand the core. They understand this initial concept that I'm talking about that the MBAs don't understand. So as he's kind of sold his company, let's be honest, probably cashed out. Everybody kind of on that level probably cashed out and they're at the point where they don't really need to work, but they see this opportunity to where the industry needs a core again. There is a core that exists with people who are going and surfing every day and then they want to rally around something and they deserve to, and they deserve to have the best product at a reasonable price available retail uh, or through whatever. So they're going to do that because they're not ready to not work. They have all the experience. They don't need a giant paycheck. So they're willing to do it. That really seems to be the ethos of this company and probably John John's ethos at this point too. So I feel like we, they've proven through decades of work experience and blood, sweat, and tears that their hearts are in the right place. So I believe that they'll do it well, rightly, but more importantly, there's never been a riper time. Like as a business opportunity, there's never been a more level playing field where the incumbents in the industry have their pants down right now and they're fledgling to figure out what's what. Hurley's making inflatable toys for pools at this point. And the other companies have replaced their core employees with people who don't know what's what. And they can step in and fill a giant void and not only fulfill what the consumer wants, they can actually probably execute a pretty amazing business. Well, that's what I was going to get at was that first and foremost, that's why you start a business is to make money. And there's nothing wrong with that. You and I do that and many, many others. And that's what we live in. It's a capitalist system and it's a good system. So this idea that they've got nothing better to do, so they'll just start another company because the industry is lacking. I don't think that's their motivation. I think their motivation is, I mean, there might be some to that, but when and you mentioned a you mentioned a phrase when you were talking there, um, something along the lines of you know the industry is really lacking, um, you know like a, a core company or whatever, and it got me thinking about Patagonia, because I my my question to you is going to be what's the what's right now today the most quote unquote core company in the surf industry. And I was thinking of there's got to be some surfboard makers that fall in there. And then I was thinking um, Patagonia. And the reason is, and this is, this speaks to Bob Hurley is Patagonia is authentic. Like, you know, exactly where that guy stands and he's never wavering from it. And in fact, he backs it up. I mean, he, he backs it up um, from the way he treats his employees to the monies that he puts into political campaigns, to the way that he sources materials so that his company can make money and do it according to him the right way. And that's authentic. And that's why to me, Patagonia is probably the most core company in the surf industry. 
because they're the most authentic. That's what I'm getting at. The most I, authentic. And Hurley has always been authentic based on the people that you mentioned, the people that he's, that that company has hired throughout the last 25 years. I fully agree. And I think that all those things um, are going to be the main reason that John John's business succeeds is because of his authenticity as a surfer and he's transitioning kind of into sail, that sailing world. That's certainly what will make Bob successful. The one caveat I would argue though, is that Patagonia is an authentic climbing company. They've had success in surfing, but they're not a surf brand. They're a climbing brand first and foremost because of his I authenticity. That, I don't think that matters anymore though. Like that used to matter, but, but now you know what surfers are looking for? Authenticity. Yeah. And if you're authentic, it doesn't matter if you're in this space or in that space, you know, like, well, well, surfers are also, um, uh, they have a lot of varied interests. So it's not me as a surfer. I also do a bunch of other outdoorsy things. And so that's why Patagonia fits into my life. Um, but if we're, and so for the consumer, yeah, everything you said makes sense. But if you and I were to classify surf, quote, surf brands, I would say that Patagonia falls outside of a surf brand, but it has a category, category extension into surfing. You know what I mean? It wasn't born in surfing. Yvonne Chouinard, by the way, does surf, but he started making clothing, shorts, and gear and selling oh, that's, out of the back of his truck at Yosemite. It's a, clothing, it's a climbing brand. If that's the benchmark that has to be met to be a surf company, the one you just mentioned, say it again. That, that you have to have out the, of that space. That you it was born from a surfer, basically. No, no, way, he was born. He was born from climbing. He would climb for. No, six I know months. that. Yeah. But I'm, I'm saying what makes a surf company then, according to what you just said, yeah, is the company has to be born out of a surf surfing. Like it has to be a guy that was just you know. It was Quicksilver grew up, grew up making surfing and yeah, Quicksilver making board shorts. Right, right. Rip, yeah. So and by the way, so there's a bunch of core surf companies. One of our main key sponsors. Like Quicksilver, Quicksilver but, in my opinion, is not a core surf company anymore. But they were. Just, that's how, exactly. They're yeah, not that, yeah, anymore. They were, that's right. this no, entire no, point. Yeah. So I think to answer your question, name a core surf company. There's dozens. One of our, our main sponsors, Need Essentials. We know the owners. They surf all of the time. They surf great. All of their product is for surfing. There's traction companies, Creatures of Leisure, Leisure uh, Dakine. Well, every single, companies, every, single surfboard. every single surfboard brand, those are all core. But when we're having this conversation about the Hurley and the legacy and the Kandui group, I think what you and I are talking about is companies that are going to actually provide product for all of your things, for your board shorts, for your jeans, for your outerwear, for your shoes, for your wetsuits, for all of that. That's kind of what we're talking about for this conversation, which Patagonia certainly does, but the surf category extension for them is just a wing of their company. You know, that, that was the argument that I was making, but I agree okay. with you. Authenticity is key. Like John, there's nobody more authentic than John, John. That's what they're building. I think this whole, uh, I don't know what suite of businesses around, by the way, I didn't say it, but they acquired simple shoes. Yeah. Which I could see by the way, simple is a phenomenal brand name that they could just make more than shoes with. I wouldn't be surprised if that becomes a clothing company and or 
a wetsuit company and an eyewear company because some, and maybe they just start doing camping gear. Like simple says it all. Right. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely see that as sort of, um, I also see that and, and I'm no business hotshot, but I, I also see that as sort of a, like, an out of the gates revenue creator for them while they get these other businesses kind of sure. up on their feet. They can count on simple that it already exists. It's happening. There's distribution that they'll probably pile on with these other companies once they get these other brands up and going, but it's guaranteed revenue, which, you know, kind of helps the engine run. Totally. Completely agree. Um, I know you've got a hard out in one minute ago, so let's wrap, but I'll quickly say, in regard to neat essentials, um, obviously we wear the wetsuits. We've talked about wearing the puffer jackets as well. My secret in regard to running is the board short. As a running short is the best running short. <laughs> it breaks high above the knee. The back pocket is tight to my butt, so my phone fits in there without any jostling. Hold on, I gotta take my earphones out, but here's my pair right here. Rob, did you hear that? He's Boom. pimping your shorts as running it. shorts. <laughs> yeah, I have to hang it there to dry because they're sweaty afterwards. But these are the olive color. Look at that color. Scallop leg. Actually, yeah, these are the scallop leg ones. These things are Dude, legit. I'm all about it. I was wearing my Neat Essentials long sleeve jacket and my Neat Essentials black trunks this morning, bro. I'm all about it. It's everything you need, nothing you don't. NeatEssentials.com. Keeping us styled and, like, honestly, the most functional fairly priced, like best equipment. So now that you've adopted a, a dog, you know, I, I know I, I see right through this whole facade, by the way, <laughs> you know what this means? Can we, if we can adopt a dog, that means we're probably thinking about getting married and we're going to have kids and or adopt a kid. Um, it's in the cards, Scott. I can't give you a timeline, but it's in the cards. Well, if you need uh, if you need to buy a ring, talk to me offline. I've got a buddy that that does that for a living. Okay, good to know. Yeah. Um, my musty moment is Soli Bailey's video by Morgan Mawson. Uh, Soli Bailey was on tour last year. Nothing was that impressive that I saw of him surfing competitively. However, this edit outshines everything combined that he did last year. His surfing's fantastic, but also Morgan Mawson is a real auteur behind the lens of still photography and of, um, you know, as a filmmaker. Everything he does looks great. I think he's discerning about who he'll work with and where what conditions he'll work in. So he's going to kind of give himself the best raw materials to work with. But it's a beautiful film, and Soli Bailey reasserts his relevance in our non-competitive COVID year. You know what, as we wrap up, we, we have to next week uh, um, talk about the Brazil thing. A lot of weird stuff happened in Hawaii. The COVID thing's going through the roof. They reclosed the beaches. You can still surf, but the beaches are closed in Hawaii. That does not bode well for the WSL in October, November, December. And uh, there's a bunch of other stuff that we're, we'll talk We'll touch base with um, next week. Even if they're even still in business at that point, they misspelled Kanoa Igarashi's jersey. Like who is running the screen printer at this point? <laughs> Eric, Logan, Eric Logan himself is like, 
pushing record on the button, screening jerseys. Like it's <laughs> it's getting bad. Um, uh, and my Duke is Mick Fanning, uh, who just gave birth. His wife or his girlfriend just gave <laughs> Mick Fanning was pregnant. You birth. might you might not have noticed he was pregnant wow. for the last nine months. Uh, and he defied all scientific odds by giving birth to a child. Um, incidentally, we had a fan, a friend over the other night who like born and raised in Mission Viejo, who's friends with Mick Fanning. She's not in surfing at all. And she's like, oh yeah, my girlfriend is like uh, dating some pro surfer. They just had a kid together. I'm like, oh, who is it? She's like, Mick Fanning? I'm like, yeah, I know who Mick Fanning is. Her <laughs> friend from high school. Uh, Oh, she's a friend from high school. Anyways, she said nothing but great things about um, the mother of Mick Fanning's newborn child, and congrats to that lovely couple. There's Nick- a lot of mother themes through this podcast, I've noticed. We've, there- we've touched on the word mother a lot. There really is. Yeah. There really is. Gonna do? All right, Scott. All right, great, well, great to be back. I'm glad that you're not canceled. I know. Not yet. You never know. Um, until next time. Adios and aloha.